0: Listen carefully carefully to to the instructions. instructions. Your life depends depends on how well you follow follow them.
1: One of the main components of this church is Slack, with a capital S, and that's like this ability to... Well, basically, if you don't know what slack is, you, you probably are never going to figure it out properly. And
2: you don't you don't deserve it.
1: Right. You, you're going to know exactly what the church is talking about when they tell you that the conspiracy is robbing you of your slack based on your everyday life.
2: And fuck them if they can't take a joke.
1: Yeah, and fuck them if they can't take a joke. You're going to know exactly what's meant by slack.
0: He also began modeling for hundreds of magazine ads, leaving early clues of his presence. These old ads are the only known photos of Dobbs, for he otherwise remains elusive, shunning both the spotlight and the authorities. In 1979, he recruited two randomly selected nobodies, Dr. Philo Drummond and Ivan Stang, to begin a public outreach arm and begin spreading his seed word of slack.
2: Well, Basically, the church is so omnipervasive and so full... That we couldn't possibly get into the dogma in any any less than three or four hours. This will outline everything, clear concise detail, easy to read. Keep it near you, and we promise that any answers that you need will be found in this little handy little pamphlet right here.
0: One dollar for salvation. One
2: dollar.
1: You are listening to Share a Slice with Sean. Hey, it's Christmas slash New Year's Eve holidays over here. So welcome to a very relaxed and slackful episode of Share a Slice with Sean. So way back in June, I think, I was honored to have a conversation with Philo Drummond. And he's one of the co-founders of the Church of the Subgenius. And that happens to be the cult, the UFO cult, that I belong to myself because a while back, I sent them $35, and that's what gets you into the Church of the Subgenius. As the introduction to this episode explains, um, Philo and his childhood friend, Ivan Stang, were recruited in 1979 by this mysterious character called J.R. Bob Dobbs, or or, or maybe not. Uh, Anyway, Dobbs is the figurehead of the Church of the Subgenius, and he's apparently arranged it with an alien race called the Exus to come save All the subgeniuses who've paid up their membership dues, that's the $35 right now, get it now before the price goes up. Anyway, they're coming on July 5th, 1998, which um, hasn't actually come yet, probably. Um, And it's called X-Day. So every year, uh, members of the Church of the Subgenius go down to X-Day and... On the morning of July 5th, they wait for the exes to come to pick them up. So, so far, more than 20 times, it's just been practice drills, but we're pretty sure that the next July 5th um, is gonna be the one. The interview itself, it turns out that that July 5th was not the one, which is good because I can get this interview out to you now so uh, but definitely it's going to happen in 2019 or at least what the conspiracy calls 2019. We all know it's actually 1998 um, It's pretty obvious that the conspiracy of pinks or slash the normals, them, those people they've messed up the calendars so 1998 hasn't actually happened yet uh, or 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 maybe j.r. Bob Dobbs also uh, wrote, 8661 on the napkin uh, telling us when the world would end and not 1998. After all, maybe it's actually upside down. Um, So uh, either all this happened or Philo and Stang just made the whole thing up on a lark in 1979. And the thing just took off in Cleveland and San Francisco and other places in the 1980s. And this whole thing still exists now. 40 years later. It seems unlikely, but it's also a possibility. I really think that with this material, it's probably best not to fight it. Uh, Just don't keep your analytical brain on. Turn your brain off. Uh, Just slack off, fade into this episode, and just let it sink into your brain. It'll wash your brain out for you.
0: That's your key phrase. It will trigger the entire message without you being aware of that. Three, two, and one. Now to continue with the tape
1: recording. So my first year of university back in 1993, I walk into the computer labs over there at the fancy McGill University in Montreal here, and who do I see grinning back at me but this uh, piped uh, figure from the 1950s looks like someone off of uh, Leave It to Beaver or something. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a bit kitschy. I wonder what that is. But I didn't really go any further. But uh, his grin, like, just burnt into my mind. And over the next 20 or 30 years, occasionally I would go back to that and I'd be like, what is this, J.R. Bob Dobbs?
2: Well, we tried hard to make sure his face got out everywhere we could We could get it, you know.
1: That was the thing, yeah, exactly.
2: In early membership packs, you always got your sticker page, you know, with lots of Dobbs heads and, and ways to uh, duplicate them. Sticker packs that you could put stickers in weird places, you know, and obscure locations and put them in the news, ready for newspaper, you know, our local... Um, civic club, tabloid, those types of things.
1: I mean, I guess we'll, we'll back up a bit for some of my listeners who, who may not know really what the Church of the Subgenius is. Um, you and another fellow by the name of Reverend Ivan Stang, uh, you guys um, founded the church, I guess, in the early, what, 1979, 1980, somewhere around there?
2: About there, yeah.
1: How how did this church come out of come out of being? Because it's it's centered around this traveling well, this salesman um, extraordinaire, uh J.R. Bob Dobbs.
2: Some say that I was tasked with the responsibility of finding someone who could start writing about uh, Bob and his immaculation and what was going to be happening in the next few years, and what people needed to do to recognize their abnormality potential and and exercise uh, uh, their inner subgenius and and uh, and quest for slack, you know, and uh, understand the conspiracy and all that stuff. Or you know, I mean, that was that's what some people say. And then there's other people that say there was just a couple of guys who were, who were uh, trying to be funny so they could get a little attention. And those guys wrote some stuff, and everything just went crazy after that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to try to use Occam's razor here. I mean, it seems like the... The first story is the simplest, so it could be the most likely. But the second one, as outlandish as it sounds, I mean, I, I guess it might be possible as well.
0: Yeah. Take a deep, deep breath. Go deeper and deeper into relaxation. you feel better than ever before in your life. Two. Deep, deep breath. Much deeper than before. And as you exhale, you enter deeper and deeper relaxation. Three.
1: If you went go with the first story, it seems like what I've read or what I've heard is that you ran into this um, mysterious uh, J.R. Bob Dobbs at some point. Um, I, I don't know, was it in the when was it i mean
2: actually it was in college it, it was in college you know and uh ultimately uh yeah he was like a upper classman while we were in college and um shared the same dorm i was in and uh, we did some, ran across each other during those various college activities now this particular storyline is harder for me to remember Is the only thing about it. So I'm going to work on that aspect. But if some listeners go back and go, no, that's not what happened. That guy, he wasn't, he was fake. He wasn't really telling the truth because I know what I read the book and I know what happened. So I mean, that could possibly be a potential uh, on the horizon because I'm working from a poor memory. Okay, (laughs) but um, I'll tell you, there is the one of the. one of the I believe on my webpage quiveringbrain.com there is a there is a story attached to one of those links that re you know has a synopsis of that that meeting of Dobbs and it's called the lost Gospel of Bob or lost gospel of Dobbs I can't mm. remember one of the two see it's been a long time since uh I wrote that Um, in any case, you know, I could send you a link later if you'd like to look at it. Um, And uh, it does go into detail about that specific occasion and meeting Bob for the first time and meeting Connie and uh, and the panty raid at college and Bob being knocked out by the frozen bra brazier. Um, those, those events are described in detail in that particular, um, document. It was one of the chapters that didn't make it in Revelation X, the lost
1: gospel,
2: the lost gospel of, let me go look for it while we're talking here.
1: You actually met Connie that time. I didn't realize that that was so early on.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, a lot of people met Connie. She was very popular back in those days.
1: So Connie is actually the most favorite wife of J.R. Bob Dobbs.
2: So they say. Yeah, of the ones we know of.
1: Well, I mean, there are many. It's sort of like, you know, Hinduism, I guess. You have potentially hundreds, if not thousands, with alternate universes.
2: Many planets, many times, many places, yeah, you know many bobs
1: j.r. Bob Dobbs, I mean he he grew up, he was a sales genius. Um, then one evening after basically conquering the world of sales and 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 corporate retail, everything, he was um, you know, he was busy. Uh, some say he was building a television. Uh, others, uh, you know, others. I'm not quite sure. Said he was something to do with something else. I'm not sure. We're selling uh, roofing material or something. I can't quite remember what. And then um, it was an, an alien god that visited J.R. Bob Dobbs in a flash of light. This would be uh, Yahweh. Am I uh, am I getting this right? I don't want to screw it up and ruin my my uh, cred too much
2: um see that's the trouble with with stuff like this it it's hard to remember those obscure details
1: well you know? not only that but how do you know but, that but yeah
2: I think the last time I heard and I, of course I could look in the book but um and I don't have a I have books not too far from here but and that's in the first book mm-hmm. and uh, basically Bob, I may even be, it may have even been in the first pamphlet. I believe I believe it was in the first Stark Fist of Removal. Pamphlet. Bob was behind one. a television set yeah. and was poking around behind a television set and received his immaculation at some point right. there. I'm not sure what, I don't think it was Yahweh or anybody. I think it might have been Jehovah One, oh. who was a s- retarded space alien.
1: Yeah, I get them confused and sometimes.
2: Yeah, they've got similar names. Maybe there's through some convoluted, you know, process. They might be related to each other. But but uh, yeah, the um, Jehovah one, a retarded space God alien thing, uh, immaculated him against his will. And uh, and so, yeah, yeah, that's definitely a that was definitely a bad thing.
1: Yeah. Sounds bad. Or oh, a good a good
2: thing. It was a bad for him, but you know, it was good for I guess geniuses everywhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kinda like he got immaculated for us. Not really for us, but we're definitely gonna we could potentially benefit from it, I suppose. Uh I mean, uh, I've never been really 100% clear what exactly happens on the saucers themselves. I mean, I know we well, get you know, everything it's not we need. it's really
2: not in Oh, yeah, we get everything we need, everything we want. And, you know, everything that we 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 don't even know we want is already there waiting for us. Right. We get there and go, "God, if I'd have thought about it a little longer, I would have thought of this." You know? But the main thing is, you know, the message is still there. Yeah, the message is still there, you know, and and until we get to the real 1998, then Reverend Stang will just keep preaching, and uh, and we'll st- we'll keep up with our outreach ministries of using the internet whenever possible because it's so cheap now.
1: Mm-hmm. So far, reasonably free.
2: All
3: right, all right, people. now all right, let's get to this slack. <laughs> right. You say in this little pamphlet you've you've given me it says repent, quit your job and slack off, the world ends tomorrow and you may die. Uh Is this your message to the world? What is those? Those are uh, sort of mind-catching slogans. Uh, We do. This is a church that does. We do. This particular sick mind-control cult does give you back your mind after we're through with it. Yes. Um, But you've heard the expression, uh, "Oh, there's no slack in the world. Or cut me some slack." Bob realized that there was a vast conspiracy that didn't even know what it was doing because it's a conspiracy of, of uh, normalcy. And okay. this conspiracy has been taking away people's slack what, what since conspiracy the day they're born. Is, what consp- all right, now wait a second. Conspiracy and are y'all are out to put down outrageous cult groups. What does this mean? No, no, this is an outrageous cult group. <laughs> you you um you might um show the book to the people okay. so they can get an an, an idea of, of what's going on. Right, See so this it depicts the end of the world uh, on july fifth, nineteen ninety eight, which will happen if Enough people don't buy the book of the sub <laughs> And now, what was that date again? Uh, July fifth, nineteen ninety-eight. All right. So um, y'all are a Dallas-based group of humorists, Is this right? <laughs> or... No, no, no. We're we're high priests of the unpredictable. Um, and now, again, some people would say it's a put on. Yes. And we leave. We believe that all decisions should be made by the individual. So, um, in in a way. The book of the subgenius can be the ultimate test. You can pick that thing up, and uh, if it confuses you, then you're normal. All right? it, it, you may it, never get slack. Satirical. <laughs> what, what viewpoint lies beneath the satire? What, what, is, what are y'all trying to uh, project? Um,
1: you and Stang both come from Texas, right? And you guys met in Texas? Is that how does yeah, that we work? We
2: met in Texas. You're like well, uh, um, we were just happen to be in the same uh, area growing up, and didn't we didn't know each other then, and and uh, we were introduced by Stang's uh, sister-in-law, and uh, she was a she lived near me, and she was like, uh, you know, you need to meet my brother, and I was like, I don't want to meet your brother. I'm sure he's some goofball and she would talk to him and yeah you need to meet my friend Uh, he was like I don't want to meet your friend and you know so then uh, she told me she said well he likes likes Frank Zappa and he likes comic books and you know and I thought well maybe okay I'll think about it she told at the same time she told him hey he's a fan of Captain Beefheart and he has a big comic book collection and and so uh, he was like okay well maybe we'll Maybe we should meet, I guess, you know. And so finally, after a long time, we I went over to his house and we were just instant instant friends. We had so much in common and we just started talking and our wives were like left in the other room to, you know, hash things out while we went in the back and immediately, immediately, you know, like we had been old pals. And so uh, anyway, yeah, that was how we met and uh through that introduction and we've been friends ever since but yeah it was after after that that was probably in 78 or something like wow, that maybe okay. 70 78 and uh at some point you know we had these creative urges and things we wanted to do something creative together and that was part of that whole you know subgenius thing
1: i mean but uh that's got to be the crate. Uh, well, yeah. I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't even imagine. Like, uh, I mean, how would you even know that you would? Well, obviously, you wouldn't. What I'm trying to get at is like, you guys, however it happens, end up being the founders of this uh, this cult, Church of the Subgenius, and then it just takes off in um, in Houston. Well, it, it area.
2: started out as a pamphlet. Yeah. It really started out as a pamphlet, and the pamphlet, you know, so when you're thinking about designing something that has, uh, ultimately, I think I guess I guess it had 16 pages in it or something like that, and it was a simple pamphlet design on eight and on um, 11 by 17 or maybe it was eight and a half by 11, eight and a half by 17, I think is what it was. So we. You know, that was when we when the first pamphlet came out, we thought that was all it was going to be. That was all we were even prepared to do. That's we spent a long time doing that pamphlet. Yeah. Right. And then we mailed it out and we thought, well, let's go. Well, the first thing we did with the pamphlet, you know, we after we had it all printed up is like, how are we going to distribute this thing? So we had to think about that, and we thought, well, let's go put it in bookstores. We'll, we'll droplift it. You know, it's the opposite of shoplifting. It's where you bring something into the store and leave it there so that it can be sold in the store. Instead of stealing from the store, you're actually giving them free inventory. So we would go into different bookstores and record stores and various places, and we would walk to their publication stand and surreptitiously deposit pamphlets on there for sale. You know, I've always wondered what it would be like to have one of those pamphlets and walk up to the counter. I should have just tried it myself sometime and walk up to the counter and act like I wanted to buy it and see what they it said. probably sell you know. it to you. But we realized, you know, after we went to the four or five record stores in town that this was going to be a real slow way of distributing it, you know. And besides, what would be cool would be if somebody else... Let's say a publishing company saw it and thought, man, these guys, this is great. Maybe these guys will write something else for us. Maybe they'll write a book or maybe they'll want to be, maybe they'll, I can, they'll want to be a writing comedy for my television program, you know, we the grandiose ideas on what, what talent we had. So, um. You know, after a while, we, uh, his wife said, "You know, you guys should just send it to every publisher you can." Yeah. So we mailed it out. We got this book of American publishers, and we sent the pamphlet to three hundred and fifty different publishers. Wow. And and we had a we had a Philo Drummond was the PR manager. For the Millennium Management Company, and he sent the letters out to all those three hundred and fifty, with a copy of the pamphlet. And you know, please take a look at this. Here's my 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 clients are uh, can do these other things similar to this as an example of their great skills or whatever. I can't remember exactly what I said. And then we sent it out, and we got about. 200 rejection letters back we have a really nice collection awesome collection it's
1: amazing of rejection you even letters. got letters actually I guess some of them just ignored you yeah outright. well back
2: in those days there was no you know there's no internet back then and there's no uh people did a lot more things by mail mm-hmm. you know that's how you communicated with businesses and things were in snail mail that's what we called it back then we didn't call it that until the internet but until there was email. Then we had to call that other thing snail mail. But in any case, we used to do that, and we sent them out. We had this beautiful, wonderful collection of rejection letters. And ultimately, three of the publishers that ultimately published subsequent subgenius books were also uh, sent us initial rejection letters. So, anyway, after that... uh, once we got all those rejection letters back we also got a lot of attention from different uh, different parts of the culture that are like more edgy and counterculture and off the beaten path and obscure and you know those kind of places that we liked anyway are suddenly giving us attention you know and these different fanzines and magazines and even People Magazine, they're given—they're giving us this attention. Not not People yet, but these fanzines were giving us this great attention because, uh, uh, you know, of, of the pamphlet. And these, we were getting letters from people that wanted to join the church, and so we had to we had to come up with our membership pack, you know, as a product extension strategy to to the to the pamphlet because we had demand out there we were trying to set we had huge demand and nothing to satisfy it with so we had to come up with additional product line to satisfy the demand out there we came up with the membership the uh, the various testimonials and the questionnaire the questionnaire we didn't know how to build a questionnaire so we went and got we went and visited every oddball cult we could find in Scientology had this great Dianetics questionnaire and we thought well we gotta have one of those to be a cult worth our salt we have to have all this stuff we gotta have good charts we have to have good graphics we have to have good dogma we gotta have all this stuff that a good cult's gonna have you know and so we started building that stuff and uh, you know after a while you know that seemed like a book a real book if we could get somebody interested and and we published a couple more pamphlets and finally we had some publishers that were interested McGraw-Hill was the first one the publisher of textbooks
1: that that's so (laughs) ironic and (laughs) <laughs> Robert Robert Crum so, of Weirdo Comics also seems to have discovered you guys somehow, or the comic. The comic. Yeah, bo- that's bo- when
2: I said. Right when I said we were the the counterculture, I, I meant like the ripoff press and some of the other. Um, I can't even think of all of them now. At the time, there was a lot of alternative press publications around magazines. You know, in those days, since there was no internet yet, magazines were doing a good business, and tabloids, and fanzines, and various alternative publications did a pretty good business back then, because that was that was the standard. You know, that was how you communicated back then, and uh, and everybody wanted to find their niche, and so there was not uh, particularly underground comics, and um, and you know, uh, the, it was kind of. Proto-punk, you know, it was after the punk scene had Yeah. Um, you know, we had all this sort of uh, alternative culture that was tapping into it. And, and their particular publications and devices were picking it up. And we were trying to make it so that it was easy for them to pick it up by encouraging copying. You know, Xerox machines was like the was the apex of technology for us back then. But we could we could self-publish, you know. So we did a lot of that. We did our own Xeroxing and stuff. We encouraged other people to do it too, and and play these jokes on people. Here's here's a handy set of jokes you can just go play on people. You know,
1: it, it's interesting because so, it's interesting because you've got your. You got the church of the sub genius right, and then you had uh you know the cacophony society in uh in uh San Francisco they were doing the, they were publishing their own stuff yeah. and xeroxing it and you even had fricking Jack Chick out there uh, publishing his stuff and sticking them in washrooms like that thing was going on in the early eighties everywhere
2: well that yeah. was going on early uh, yeah that was a, Jack chick was a good uh a good you know. For, he was a good example for us on on a way you could distribute things cheaply yeah and easily you know and uh, we had high respect for him not as not as much for his his distribution skills as his weird obtuse uh, theology you know that right. he somehow got out there too. He went he went some of that stuff was just totally I, I think there was other people maybe writing some of it. Yeah, And he was just adopting it. But in any case, it was uh, uh, one of our one of our um, our folks uh, made a a documentary on Jack Chick. Uh, I think it was Papa Joe Mama um, Ah. did that and uh, might be something worth looking up sometime. I think uh, uh, Reverend Stang himself is uh, in in that movie. It's a documentary, a really nice documentary, I think I originally saw it on Netflix or somewhere.
1: I'll have to take a look at that. But it's a
2: documentary on Jack Chick. The Bohemian Grove is a real place in California where uh,
3: members of the Yale Skull and Bones Society and their very important friends go to meet, and they really do. They're described as sacrificing innocent children to a giant statue of an owl while they dance naked in Bacchanalian orgies. It's kind of hard to imagine George W. Bush and Dick Cheney indulging in these things, but according to some experts, that's exactly what's going on.
1: I I remember Jack Chick because... uh, I I brief, I grew up Roman Catholic, and then uh, as I was kind of kicking that to the curb, I decided I wanted to be a witch for a while. So I was like one of these Wiccan types in the early '90s. Oh yeah, I remember the? It uh-huh. was cool back then. And then uh, I remember, oh yeah, I remember seeing the Jack Chick tracks during that, and then I, I liked his tracks because they're the, he was he was one of the only ones who was treat you know actually taking wicca or any of that seriously i'm like oh wow he's yeah. actually believes this stuff that's hilarious <laughs> yeah. i feel so validated yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, a, uh. it's a shame he didn't make something about the sub geniuses. i guess he'd, we just didn't show up on his radar it's kind of sad um i'm not
2: so sure that he didn't Hmm. Uh, at some point maybe
1: yeah It'd be worth I
2: know that there for. was. I know that several people, including Doctor Howe, made a really good knockoff Jack Chick subgenius <laughs> version, and it really looks good. It looks like a real Jack Chick, but I, I, I seem something's ringing a bell that maybe he did mention it or do say something about it somewhere. Oh, but I'll, I'll have, have to find look that out. up. I'm going to find out about that. So I mean, but yeah, you should definitely check out that that uh uh, documentary
1: um yeah yeah definitely and i mean they actually so the you guys swung the multimedia engine along and then all of a sudden like this seems totally kind of out there to me uh radio shows started appearing uh like for instance um you know puzzling evidence uh Uh, And you had uh, you had uh, the hour of of slack as well. I mean, someone. I mean, they let Stang on the radio, right?
2: Right. They, you know, that's that was most of the time. It was late at night, or you know. But yeah, uh, those were all. Both were Pacifica stations. Mm. So you know, they're looking. They're not like a commercial station in that. They actually have holes in their in their lineup. That they need to fill, and so they're looking for people to do that. You know, people who who work for Pacifica stations are volunteers, so they don't get paid, and it takes a lot to make somebody want to get up at three o'clock in the morning and come in and do an hour, and then go home and go back to bed. You know, so um, that's probably that that's probably how it was. Those slots were originally acquired. Now, in terms of the puzzling evidence show, there, there was an existing show on that invited uh, puzzling evidence and some other early subgenius. I think it was Paul Mavridis, invited them to the show, and uh, um, and then they never left, and eventually hijacked the show. Or they were there. They were there still as permanent guests, kind of. When the original show guy had to leave or something, so they just inherited the show, and then they they've still got it 36 years later, you know, basically. And that's at different time slots, but they were all at odd times that nobody wanted. I think one time he had a drive time show on Sunday or something, or Friday. That now that I was dreamed when I was on that show that we could have a drive time, you know, like wow at. o'clock, 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning, people going on their way to work, to me, that would have been the best time to be doing that show and doing weird, saying weird, stupid stuff.
1: Yeah, I
2: mean... that While they're on their way to work. Driving. And then just setting little bombs in their brains for the rest of the day.
1: Because they would... When you're driving, you're kind of hardly there. So, I mean, because you're busy trying not to run into stuff, hopefully. So, I mean...
2: Yeah, I want him to go,
1: What'd that guy just say? Oh, my God. I can't believe he said that on the
2: radio. That's what I'd want to imagine happening, you know? Imagine you're in August of 1975 here with Philo and Hal. Well, turn me on, dead man. Standing at the beach. And uh, I may have been at the beach myself, but I would have been farther south. This five is far or mistaken. six miles. They shall go About go further. five or six miles to my right as I'm looking out at
0: the beach, which I would have been doing. And, uh, he jumped off the cliff. See
2: there, not far away from me.
0: And wow. smashed oh, into the my, ground. I better get and
2: then laid there. And then laid there like this. Don't pick me up. Leave me <laughs> alone. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Pick me up. 9 hours later 9 hours he died oh he left his mortal coil right over there he he shucked his earthly husk oh did you watch any of uh, uh, uh something the re, re uh, the source family it's a little documentary by people
0: who the by two guys, guys are in the source family
1: i was oh, no, driving I to watch. toronto over last weekend and it was kind of like uh, late at night. It was around 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. My wife was riding with me with the kids and uh, I'm like, oh, I'll put on some music. Oh, maybe I'll put on puzzling evidence. So I put on pu- puzzling evidence. And when you're driving in a country road in the middle of the night and you got puzzling evidence going, it really sets the, the ambiance, you know what I mean? Like it's different.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love to think that people are out there on the road somewhere. we That was our, one of our fantasies, is thinking that there's people on the road somewhere yeah. listening to this in their car truckers. in the middle of the
1: night. Imagine truckers. That'd be yeah, cool.
2: Truckers. We would talk to the truckers out on the interstate, you know, and try to, try to get them to call in. And we actually got a few to call in from time to time. And one of our more weird call-ins that we used to get was some guys that worked in a Coalinga slaughterhouse and they would have puzzling evidence piped in there, turned up really loud while they were slaughtering cattle. <laughs> I just blew me away. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh.
1: It's difficult to describe. Um, I think that people just need to listen to puzzling evidence. But, um, I mean, it, I guess the closest thing I can think of is it's kind of like a a, a a Dada-esque, uh, free form, uh, uh, sound collage with a bunch of, uh, with also some dialogue on top of it. I mean, that kind of doesn't do it justice, but that's kind of what it is. It's something very Dada-esque about that show, in my opinion. Get all fancy.
2: Yeah. I think if you listen to the, uh, you'll, li- if you listen to the patter between the hosts, you'll find that, um, it's it's more of a it's improvisational interplay where the three guys know each other really well and they say things and they're fairly erudite and they um, play off of what each other say in much the same way as a jazz band does you know mm. as when they improvise so um, it takes several listenings but once you listen to it then it's interesting to listen to them and that interweaving interplay that they do as well as the topical content of what they might decide to enter to weave in there so that aspect of it is not like the collage so to speak it's actually more of um, and, and, in there, and I think that because they have good pun skills and things like that that, um, that the uh, listener will be entertained in a humorous way as well
1: Yeah, you've got that, and then you've got um, Dr. Hal's uh, recitations as well.
0: In the living room, the voice clock sang. Tick-tock, seven o'clock, time to get up, time to get up, seven o'clock, as if it were afraid that nobody would. The morning house lay empty. The clock ticked on, repeating and repeating its sounds into the emptiness. Seven-nine, breakfast time, seven-nine. In the kitchen, the breakfast stove gave a hissing sigh and ejected from its warm interior eight pieces of perfectly brown toast, eight eggs sunny-side up, sixteen slices of bacon, two coffees, and two cool glasses of milk. "'Today is August 4th, 2026,' said a second voice from the kitchen ceiling, in the city of Allendale, California. It repeated the date three times for memory's sake." Today is Mr. Feathered Stone's birthday. Today is the anniversary of Toledo's marriage. Insurance is payable, as are the water, gas, and light bills. Somewhere in the walls, relays clicked, memory tapes glided under electric eyes. 8-1, tick-tock, 8-1 o'clock, off to school, off to work, run, run, 8-1... But no doors slammed. No carpets took the soft tread of rubber heels. It was raining outside. The weather box on the front door sang quietly, Rain, rain, go away. Rubbers, raincoats for today. And the rain tapped on the empty house,
1: echoing. And, uh, Dr. Wow. Howe some sort of, um, uh, I guess, uh, autodidactic genius or something uh, he just uh, stuff comes out yeah, of his he's mouth he's got a
2: great memory yeah he's got a really great memory and he his father was like an english professor or something and poetry was really important in their family and he likes to be known as the resident know-it-all you know <laughs> so uh yeah. Yeah, and what he doesn't know, he's good at improvising. So, it yeah, pretty still works out for him. Yes. Like, yeah, he's got a, a regular show called the Ask Doctor Hal Show, right? That rotates from here to there, and always has a a little bit of time at X Day where he does it as well.
1: Him and uh, Chicken John, there, uh, they do live shows, and then uh, he's also on them. He was on the radio with his show, but I don't know what's going on with Radio Valencia these days.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure either what they're doing. Like they, I it kind of comes and goes and I'm not sure. So, when I can't stay up that late.
1: No, well, you know, puzzling evidence. I I kept on meaning to call in, but I've got uh, two kids and a wife and uh, so I'm it's basically lockdown here past eight o'clock. I just uh, scroll away in the basement and can't make any noise. It's kind of oppressive but uh, I'm told it'll get better later on. I
2: used to do that. And I had that same setup and I got to where I had this had a big mixer and some good headphones and I could just you could hear little dinky noises back there but everything else was done with headphones on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to go.
2: I had to still had to soundproof the room a little bit, you know.
1: And so you got the film coming out, and the film it, I think, based on my uh, perusal of it, um, it looks like it's more sort of a documentary. So, Arise was more like a recruitment film. So that discusses some of the history and the, I guess, the theology of the church and, you know, the story of J.R. Bob Dobbs, that kind of stuff. So that's a kind of a primer yeah. similar to the Book of the Subgenius. Whereas um, the new film, uh, the documentary made by actual documentary makers, that that one's more seems to be more along the story of the church itself, but being told from... Uh, Uh, how should I put this, less theology and more about the story itself of you.
2: I grew up as a a little white boy in America in the 1950s in a middle class home. I was in the perfect position of being desperate enough to do low budget promotion
3: for
0: a weird cult. If you have never heard of the Church of the Subgenius, do not look to us for enlightenment. It all began with the book of the subgenius and the church's deity, Bob Dobbs.
3: It was part pop culture part science,
2: part religion. We tied together every occult, superstitious, fringe belief you could think of. It was so much fun!
0: Wouldn't you like revenge on these mediocritans, these pink boys, these box-dwelling Barbies and Kens, these normals who have made normality the norm? You either got the joke
2: or you didn't, and you got the joke instantly. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like if people that weren't members of the Church of the Subgenius did a documentary on the Church of the Subgenius, this might be what it looked like. They're not members. Their knowledge of it is, it, most of them had no knowledge of it. Some of them did just from an early, you know, a peripheral perspective. So um, that it was in their mind's eye, but they never explored it. Uh, you know that type of thing, and so that's the kind of connection they had to it so it's a different approach. It's not the approach that we take in arise our own documentary is very much a church documentary. that's why we can use it as a recruitment video as well you
1: know it's less propaganda in and I say propaganda in a in a good way it's less propaganda and it's more. Uh, I guess what you'd what you'd watch if you were a an anthropologist I guess and you yeah, we to don't say like
2: propaganda we said dogma
1: dogma yeah, propaganda yeah, see, has a connotation it might not be true.
2: Propaganda is somebody else's dogma
1: right right <laughs> okay I'll have to write pure. that down
2: yeah. yeah. Copyright 2018
1: Philo (laughs) I mean, some people I think take maybe take this stuff a little um, seriously to the point where maybe it seems like they're they're no longer living in a slackful kind of life. They're kind of uh, maybe they're exerting uh their their third nostril a little bit too much you know they're like just straining a bit too much and maybe they need to kind of you know I relax I think they're just lost bit.
2: they're just lost you know I think a true subgenius can figure out a way to make it through tough times like that I think yeah. other people other people it's like oh wait a minute maybe I'm not a real subgenius after all you know because this stuff wouldn't be bothering me so much, I'd figure out a way yeah. to get around it, so I could maintain my slack.
1: You know. Well, think thinking is a uh, is a lot of effort too. You know, maybe there yeah. you might be thinking a bit too much.
2: Overthinking. A lot of people overthink. Yeah. You know, they should try underthinking for a little while, just as a just a to balance out. Just do some right. underthinking, or some break-thinking. And you know, it's like break-dancing where you, you kind of just throw your mind out there and let it skitter around in every direction, back, forth, up, and down, you know, like a break-dancer does.
1: Yeah. Break-thinking. Exactly.
2: Just get out I, there. I mean... You... If you want to think one way, then flip it around and think the opposite way real quick instead, just as an alternative, give your brain some exercise. You know, it's a and, mu- it's like a muscle it needs exercise.
1: brain needs exercise, but not not the kind of repetitive, stressful you know you, you, nobody wants to be doing push-ups all day long you know they oh, want yeah. to be doing other stuff.
0: No you want to be work. like
1: when
2: you're you know how you've been in a bicycle and you start going downhill and then yeah. you pedal you pedal a little bit while you're going downhill you go even faster but it's effortless peddling because you're already going down downhill, you know, it's easy.
1: And, you know, maybe people need to like, rather than trying so hard to win, maybe they should just, you know, try to fail every once in a while too. You're going to fail. You're going
2: to fail. And my grandfather had a saying that said, you need to grease your mistakes before they happen because they're going to happen. So just be ready for them. Grease them you know make them so they slide past them easier
1: amen that sounds that sounds like a sounds like a good plan you know especially dealing with these people because that's what causes other people to break you know they just get all hung up on what's going on and they lose they track they, of their slack
2: they can't modify their plan on the fly you know
1: yeah I mean, some people think slack means you don't plan. have
2: a plan. You know, you don't have a plan. Sometimes you don't have a plan, but you got to be prepared to accept what falls into your lap. You know, that in itself is a type of a plan.
1: It is. It's keeping things loose so that you can yeah. limber. Keeping
2: things limber. It's like go with the flow or roll with the punches, you know. There's all kind of idiomatic phrases to describe that.
1: Yeah, and J.R. Bob Dobbs, he was the king of that. He was. He was. The, you remember uh, when
2: I mean, uh, he was what he was good at dodging? He could dodge like nobody. Mm-hmm. Although I remember that time that that guy threw the shoe at George W. Bush. He dodged really well. I, that was the time I was most impressed by him was that one video where the guy throws the shoes at him, and he's just like one of those guys at a sideshow that's dodging the baseballs, you know? Yeah, he's just ducking and I, dodging and ducking do you think, and dodging. Do you think
1: Barbara Bush... Do you think Barbara Bush probably throws pots and pans and shoes and all kinds of things at him? Probably. Be in guess. heaven? From heaven? Well, back in the day, hell. I guess. So, Philo... Um, I don't know if my audience how much they actually were able to learn, but I hope that maybe some stuff sunk sunk in a bit Um definitely gonna probably at least be curious stuff Yeah, for sure. I, I I would hope so and if not, that's okay yeah, no problem. I mean, when X co- when when X day comes and passes and they haven't sent in their membership, uh, they won't have to worry anymore after after some extended period of uh, torture and burning, et cetera, et cetera. That's so right. It, it's all At good. At least we'll be it's having fun,
2: good. you know. We'll, we'll, still, we'll still be having fun even if they're not.
1: Uh, I just want to remind the listeners that uh, I'm going to be putting links up to all your media, including your amazing music, on the show notes. But in the meantime, the one thing that they need to remember is quiveringbrain.com and also the OSI 74 uh, Roku channel. They should check that stuff out right away.
2: Right. And if you don't have a Roku box, you can go to my Vimeo channel. That's vimeo.com slash Philo And most of the stuff that we have on Roku is also hosted there.
1: Awesome. Thanks a lot for being on the show.
2: All right. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was fun.
1: Well, that's about it for this episode. I'd really like to thank Philo Drummond for being on the show. And I'd like to encourage you to go visit his website, Quivering Brain. There'll be a link in the show notes to that. As there will be a link as well to subgenius.com. And that's the Church of the Subgenius main site. And, um, check out Philo's music. It's on Bandcamp. He's on Mixcloud. He's on Soundcloud. He's on YouTube. He's really out there. So I'm going to be putting links to all that stuff on the website, which is available, as always, over at shareslicepodcast.com. Check that out. Check out the show notes on your device. And, um... So this actual interview it was done over the summer. It was done before July actually and I just never got around to editing it. I finally managed to get started on this during the Christmas holidays and I just never got it out the door. I wanted to get it out on New Year's Day. Didn't quite make it, but just in the festive mood of the new year, because the last year has been, frankly, challenging for everyone, I, I thought I would start out the new year with a festive, sub version of um, Old Lang Syne, that New Year's classics. And this is by Reverend Yukon Jack, and it's from the album Bob Song 7, Bob's prolapse something-something. So... We're going to end off with this. There'll be a link to this music as well as all the other music, of course, in the show notes. As always, thanks so, so much to everyone listening, and I hope you'll be back next time for the next episode. I guarantee you it'll be something different. Happy New Year, everybody, and hope to see you next time.
0: quit your job! with your job 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 with
1: What the hell do you
3: think you're doing? Dragging your butt through the day, selling body and soul to a bunch of bland normals? Acting stupid so they'll think you're one of them? Tired of getting all of the guilt, but none of the sex? There is a simple answer, dear friend. A glowing beacon of slack amidst the turmoil and darkness. It's J.R. Bob Dobbs, the living slack master in his church of the subgenius. Bob brings a new destiny for the abnormal For Bob comes to justify our sins To unmask the conspiracy and to get us back The slack they stole away It's us versus them Are you gonna fry in hell on earth alongside the Pink Boys? Or will you pull the wool over your own eyes And accept Bob into your mind? Repent,
2: quit your job, slack off, and praise Bob!
0: Church of
1: the Subgenius Eternal Salvation or triple your money back.